Today's scripture comes from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, When did you not believe him? Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Uh, before we jump into um, our passage this morning, uh, I do want to, uh, as, we, as we're going to pray here in a minute, um, I want to mention that for most of you, most of you have heard the news that our brother James has uh, passed away, that he's now in the presence of Jesus uh, after a, a battle with cancer. And uh, Dad's going to share a little at the end um, about his service and, and how to be praying for his family. Um, but I wanted to share with you all uh, what he, he asked me um, to pray for him the last time that I was, I was with him. Uh, many of you know James was not the easiest person to get to know. Um, it's, you know at first, you know, many of us thought he was even kind of a little standoffish. Uh, he, he was hesitant to even tell people his name and, and to kind of let them in. But uh, over the last year and a half, uh, some of us have really gotten to know him on a, on a deeper uh, level. And, uh, and it's just been remarkable, the, the work that we've seen God do in his heart uh, by being a part of this church. And at, at first, when he was here, he didn't like people sitting even around him. He kind of wanted to his, his own space. He wanted to leave uh, before uh, even the service ended, so he didn't have to talk uh, to too many people. And uh, the last time I was with him, Dad and I, we were asking him how we could pray for him. James, how can we pray for you right now? And what he asked was that we would pray for this church. Um, I wanted you to know um, just how near and dear you guys were to him, even if that didn't necessarily always show to all of you. Uh, the last time I prayed with him, trying to pray for him, he asked me to pray for our church. And he wanted us to pray that the word would continue to be preached here uh, for years and years to come. Uh, that we would grow, that we would flourish, um, and that the city, um, that we would be a, a gospel presence for, for the city. And so that was, that was his last, the last time I was with him, what he asked me to pray. Um, so we're going we're gonna to pray that uh, this morning. We're going to ask the Lord to help us as we uh, look at this text, but we're also going to um, uh, pray for the church, uh, what James uh, requested. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we do ask that, Lord, you would help us, um, just like we sang in that last song, Lord, that you would help us uh, set our eyes upon you, that we would know that you 
are where our help comes from. And so I ask for your help and for me as I preach and for um, our people as they receive your word. Lord, help us. Help us. Lord, I thank you for James. I thank you for um, the opportunity to know him over the last year and a half, couple years, God. Lord, we ask for his family that you would uh, comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them grieve and mourn well. We ask that you would help us, Lord, celebrate his life. And we ask that we would not quickly forget the impact that he had on, on each of us and here at this church. Lord, we do ask for this church as our brother James requested, Lord, we ask that this church, Lord, would uh, be a faithful gospel presence to this city for years to come. We ask that the word would continue to go forth uh, from the pulpit and from our city groups and from our, uh, each of us as individuals as we go out into our neighborhoods and workplaces, Lord. So we ask for your blessing here. Please help us as we look at your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 11. As always, we usually have some uh, Bibles in the back that you can pick up and grab. Feel free to use your, your phone or your tablet. Uh, we'll have some of the, the passages up on the screen, but I'd, I'd really encourage you to have Mark 11 opened up as we continue preaching through the book of Mark. And as you are turning there, I want to share with you guys some statistics about our world's trust of authority, our world's trust of authority. For 19 years, uh, the Edelman Trust Barometer has surveyed tens of thousands of people across dozens of countries, uh, measuring their level of trust in four specific areas, one of those being business, their level of trust in business, level of trust in the media, level of trust in government, and level of trust in nonprofit organizations, which includes uh, churches and other religious organizations as well. And what they found was that across all these countries in the general population, when asked if they trusted these uh, uh, positions of authority, if they trusted media and government and nonprofits and businesses, uh, if they trusted for them to do the right thing, over half said no. We don't trust them to do the right thing. 71% of people said government officials are not at all credible. And that's not just our country. That's, all, that's many countries. 63% said the same thing about CEOs. And what the surveyors are finding is that the distrust of people who are in positions of authority is growing each year. And these statistics probably aren't really that shocking to us. Uh, most of us kind of assume this because it seems like every day we're becoming more and more aware of men and women in positions of authority who abuse their power, who take advantage of their position and mistreat and take advantage of the people that they're supposed to be leading. And so we've seen this kind of play out even in our everyday life. We've seen people have a lack of trust and respect for our police officers, right? In New York City, people dumping buckets of water on the police. We're seeing uh, people have a growing distrust of government officials. Uh, and we're even seeing this amongst Christians with their pastors. We're seeing this amongst students with their teachers. We're seeing this amongst uh, kids with their parents, 
And some of it is justifiable. Some of it is we've seen kind of this mistreatment and people abusing their power, uh, but some of it is not. We're just having this growing distrust of people who are in positions of authority. But what happens to you and your life when there is no trusted authority in your life? Like, what happens to you as an individual? What happens to us as a culture and a society when there is no trusted authority in our life? What happens to you when you reject God as the ultimate authority in your life? What happens to you when you reject his word from holding ultimate authority in your life? And I think what many times happens is that when there is no trusted authority in your life, what happens? You have to become it for yourself. Or you have to go looking for it and find it amongst the popular cultural opinion or the social media mob. But many times what happens is that you have to become your own ultimate authority in your own life. And what happens when you are the ultimate authority in your life. I don't know about you, but what happens to me is I start to become really anxious about that. Anxiety starts to spike. Stress levels start to come up. Loneliness maybe even kind of happens as I feel like I'm on my own. Maybe even a little bit of paranoia, kind of always kind of checking your back. Like, I don't trust any authority except myself. And if I could be honest, I don't even know if I trust myself, right? And so this anxiety and this, this stress starts to spike when you don't have a trusted authority in your life. I mean, have you guys, uh, for, for me, uh, maybe you guys haven't had an experience like this, but, but have you had a time when you're sitting in, in your house or your apartment, all right, for the adults in the room, and you look around and you maybe see like some kids, you see the bills that need paid, you see the grass that needs mowed, and you're like, oh my goodness, like, am I the one in charge, right? Like, I, like, when did this happen? When did this adult thing happen, right? Sometimes Britt and I kind of look at one another like, oh wait, like, are we like, yeah, okay, like in the house right now, we sort of are in charge right now. Like, when did this happen? Like a little bit of anxiety and stress starts to kind of rise up in your life. Like, when did this adult thing happen? What happened to the days when you didn't have anything to worry about? You just had to maybe obey your parents and just eat like goldfish and gushers all day, right? Anyone remember gushers? Are they still out there? Does anyone know? They are. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm, I've been craving some gushers. It was a, a, a little nostalgic there. Okay, but listen, church, as I look at our culture, both Christians and non-Christians are struggling with this epidemic of distrust in authority. And as a result, many of us are paralyzed both anxiety and stress. And so our hearts, we need this good word from the Lord this morning. These are just seven verses that we're looking at in the gospel of Mark, but these verses could be life-changing for you because we are going to sit in and we are going to rest in and enjoy that Jesus is the authority we can trust. So let's, let's breathe that in and enjoy it. Maybe some of you have got some pent-up stress and anxiety this morning, uh, so this might get a little weird. Let's do a little deep breathing, all right? But let's breathe this in and rest in this. So go ahead, take a big breath in, right? Jesus is, and breathe out, the authority we can trust. Jesus is the authority we can trust.
All right, Mark 11, verse 27. Are you guys ready? All right, let's go. Verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Now, you'll, you'll remember, let me catch you guys up a little bit where we are in the book of Mark. Uh, remember what just has happened. Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, what we many times celebrate on Passover Sunday. Uh, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies that said the coming king, the Messiah, the Christ, would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And so he enters into Jerusalem. He's in the last week of his life before uh, his death and resurrection. It's Passover week. He goes into the temple. He sees what's happening in t- the temple. In the court of the Gentiles, it's been turned into a marketplace, uh, uh, people selling animals to be sacrificed. The court of the Gentiles was supposed to be a place for uh, the nations to come to be able to pray and to seek the Lord, but it had been turned into a marketplace. And so uh, Jesus looks around and he sees this, this show with no substance, right? That's what we talked about last week. He sees this show with no substance. He sees activity, but no prayer. He sees religion, but no worship. And so he sees the temple as this fruitless fig tree, which he's just cursed and just kind of used a real life illustration for us in the previous passage. And he sees all this and he starts flipping tables over, driving people and clearing out the temple. And remember what we learned last week, that unlike what the Jewish people at the time thought the Messiah would do, right, they thought he would clear the temple of all Gentiles and foreigners. No, Jesus is actually clearing the temple for Gentiles and foreigners, for the nations. He he sought his house to be a house of prayer for the nations, plural, not singular, right? And all the non-Jewish people in the building said, amen, right? He cleared out the temple for the nations to come in and seek the Lord and pray. And so he comes back now to Jerusalem on the following day. He's walking through the temple. He's teaching and he's approached by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and they've got a question for him. Now understand who's approaching him with this question. The the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders were the three groups that made up what was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group of 71 men led by the acting high priest uh, that was the ruling authority between Rome and the Jewish nation. Now, in regards to uh, religious authority, the the Sanhedrin had ultimate authority. This was like the top, like they had freedom uh, and they were the ones in charge of religious practices for the Jewish nation. In regards to political matters, they had power, just not complete ultimate power because Rome was still uh, ruling over them. But this tells us that what Jesus is doing and what he is teaching and, and the conflicts that he's had with some of the religious leaders of the day, it has made its way up the chain of command from rabbis and Pharisees in Galilee. It's now to the top. It's to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And these are ones that think they have ultimate religious authority. And the ones that think they have ultimate religious authority, they approach Jesus and they ask, by what authority are you doing these things? Like, who gave you this authority? They're asking him what right he has to do what he's doing and to teach what he's teaching. 
The, the word um, that Mark uses here for authority is the Greek word exosia. Exosia. And we first saw Jesus' exosia back in Mark 1.22 when he started his teaching ministry. And people were astonished by his teaching because we learned he was teaching as one who had authority. He had exosia. Like all these other rabbis and teachers, they would quote other people. They would quote different passages. Jesus comes and he starts teaching and he says, truly I say to you this and this and this. He taught with authority. And someone who had this exosia, this authority, they had the right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Jesus taught authoritatively. And they're asking him, who gave you this right to give orders? Who gave you this right to make decisions? Who gave you this right to enforce obedience and tell us how to live? Now, all throughout his ministry, he proved that he did have the ultimate authority, the exosia over his people because of who he is, right? We saw time and time again that he is God in the flesh. But the Sanhedrin does not want to trust or submit to God's authority. They want to be the ultimate authority. And so they approach him with a question. And if we could be honest, it's a question that's been in the heart of every human being since the Garden of Eden. Who gave you this authority? Who gives you the right to tell us how to live? My mom often tells the story when I was young, and my mom's not here, so... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she does, she does listen uh, to the recording. So, Mom, we, we love you and, and I miss you, okay? Uh, but my mom said as a child, um, I would often, after she told me to do something, I would often respond with, who made you boss? <laughs> Which kids? Learn from my mistakes, okay? That is not how you should respond to your mom or your dad. Uh, uh, but there's, I think if we could right, be honest, we all sort of sometimes have that inkling inside of us, right? Like, well, who, who made you boss? And my mom, I mean, she is, seems like the sweetest lady in the world, and she really is. She is the sweetest in the lady, but, but she can get fired up, let me tell you. She can get fired up, and I still have a healthy fear of my mom. Uh, and so my mom would quickly respond with scripture like she usually does, uh, right? So if I, respond, if I said, Mom, who made you boss? A mom would quickly respond with, um, God did. Ephesians 6.1. Let's get that up on the screen, right? She'd go to Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If you're memorizing scripture at home and you're not starting with that as the first one, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing it wrong, okay? Uh, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then if they ask why, which a lot of kids will ask why, I was one of the, you know, well, why, why, why? You take them to verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. <laughs> Right? I mean, parents out there, right? There are times when, when disobedience is just rampant in the house, and there's this feeling like I'm not sure that they will live long in the land. Like, it doesn't feel like we can get there. But children, obey your parents in the Lord. So do not mess with Grammy Walker. That is takeaway number one from the sermon. 
I'm just kidding. But that, that is a good side note to just tuck away. All right. But listen, we can, we can laugh about this, right? We can laugh about uh, uh, how I responded to my mom and maybe how some of your kids have responded uh, as well. Uh, but listen, you do the same thing with God. Well, I know, God, this is what your word says, but, but who put you in charge of me anyway? Like, I'm going to follow my heart in this matter. I'm going to follow my friends. I'm going to follow my emotions and what's popular amongst my culture. Like, who, who put you in charge anyway? You are not the boss of me. Who gave you the right to give me orders and to, to make decisions for me and to enforce obedience? And so if you don't read this passage and if you don't see a little bit of yourself in these dudes from the Sanhedrin who are questioning the authority of Jesus, I don't think you're being honest with yourself. I think we should read this and we should see a little bit of ourself in this question. But look how Jesus responds in verse 29, Mark 11, 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows that they're not really seeking truth in this matter, okay? They're actually trying to put him in a spot uh, where they can catch him uh, and maybe accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, they're not really seeking the truth in this matter. And so he answers their question with a question. And ironically, in his question, it does, and he does in fact point to where his authority came from. Because it was when John the Baptist baptized Jesus that the sky was opened and the Spirit of God descended down upon him and the, the Father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then later we saw in the transfiguration the Father added one more thing, Listen to him. And John the Baptist, he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was baptizing people and calling them to repentance to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And so by Jesus pointing them to the baptism of John, he was in fact pointing them to the fact that Jesus' authority, that Jesus had authority because of who he is. He is God in the flesh the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man. He is the Messiah, the Savior King, the Christ, the one that we've been waiting for to come and crush the serpent's head and bring us back to God. But his question was also brilliant because it was humbling to these religious leaders. Because you have to understand, these were the guys at the highest level of Jewish religious authority, and he forces them to answer a question with the words, I don't know. And that is very humbling. 
It's humbling to say, I don't know. Someone full of pride, even if they don't know, will usually try to make up something so it seems like they do know, right? I've seen this a lot working in the medical field uh, because, listen, there's, there's still so much in, in the medical field that we don't know, so much about the human body that we are just now kind of starting to figure out, but so much we don't understand, so much about disease and everything and how our bodies heal. But you will very rarely hear a doctor say the words, I don't know even if no one knows. Like, there are many times I've been in a room, no one knows the answer to that question, but you, know, you just kind of like make up some fancy words and try to like kind of talk your way around it so it seems like you don't, that you do know because it's difficult and it's humbling to say the words, I don't know. Which, which side note, one of the best pieces of advice I got uh, was from one of my teachers uh, was referring to the medical field, but I think this applies to all of life and is consistent with Scripture. He told me, be humble or be humbled. Be humble or be humbled. These religious leaders are not being humble. They think they're the ultimate authority. They try to trap Jesus in a question, and he humbles them. And Jesus asks them a question that forces them to make a decision about John the Baptist. Do you believe that John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah like he claimed to be? They obviously didn't because John the Baptist operated outside of their authority, but they couldn't say that because they feared the people would turn on them, and they feared that they would lose their own position of authority. And so in their prideful assumption that they are the ultimate authority, they approach Jesus with a question, but then Jesus questions them, and they are humbled. And the same thing happens to us. What will naturally happen is if you don't have an authority outside of yourself that you can trust, then you start living as if you are the ultimate authority in your own life. And now God might allow you to live that way for a time, but he many times will graciously bring about something in your life to humble you. And this humbling question from Jesus, it reminded me about when God questioned Job. When God questioned Job, which is one of the most humbling series of questions we have in Scripture, and it would be good for us to hear this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. It's back in the Old Testament. Um, it's right before the book of, uh, of Psalms. So Psalms and Proverbs are right in the middle of your Bible. If you go right before that is the book of Job. And it'll be Job chapter 38 that I really, I want you guys to see this and even go home later and read more of this passage. Now, many of you are likely familiar with the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job was a blameless guy who honored God. Satan comes to God and says that Job is only righteous because God uh, has blessed him with everything. And Job hasn't had to experience any suffering or hardship or pain. And if he did, he most certainly would turn away from the Lord. And so God allows Satan to test Job. Uh, his animals were stolen or killed. The house that his kids were in collapses and all his children are killed. He develops painful sores from the bottom of his soul to the top of his head. I mean, his life becomes a country music song times 10, right? 
His wife is not really an encourager. At one point, she tells him to curse God and die, okay, which is not the best uh, encouragement from a wife, right? Uh, He's then got friends that conclude he must have done something really bad to deserve all of this. And Job finally then accuses God and demands that God show up and explain himself. And God shows up and answers Job out of a whirlwind. And listen, listen to this line of questioning from Job 38. Verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Okay, he's telling Job, get your big boy pants on, because I am going to question you now. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? And this goes on and on and on. Go and read the rest of it uh, today and, and just be humbled by this series of questions that the Lord asks. I mean, just think how humbling it is. We, who at times view ourselves as the ultimate authority, and we question whether or not we can really trust God's authority, these questions humble us because what these questions reveal is that we have such a small perspective on things. There's no way we can begin to fathom the why beyond, behind all that happens in the world. It's like we want the authority of the king of the universe, but we only have the knowledge of a small town mayor, right? Like just limited perspective. We don't see the big picture like God does, who's outside of time, who is there in the beginning. And God's like, okay, Job, you're going to question whether or not you can trust my authority. Where were you, Job, in the beginning? Where were you when I created everything out of nothing? I mean, imagine these guys from the Sanhedrin approaching Jesus. Jesus who was there in the beginning. And God's questioning of Job, it goes on to chapter 39. Look at this, chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? I like that one. I like that one. When your friend is really struggling to trust in the authority of Jesus, ask them, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Now the Canfields might know, but no one else probably does. Right? Like we have such a limited perspective. Our knowledge is so limited, and yet we, we, we question and we distrust God who has ultimate authority over our life. Paul, when writing to the Colossians, he wrote this uh, speaking of Jesus in Colossians 1, verse 16. We'll have it up here on the screen. Colossians 1, verse 16. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus has authority over our lives because all things were created through him and for him. Now, he gives us little bits of authority here and there, and some of us more than others, but all authority he allows us to have is not ultimate authority. He has ultimate authority over our lives. And Jesus affirmed this himself when giving what's known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, and 19. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we like to emphasize the last part of the passage, right? Go and make disciples because that's something we can go and do. And us as good church people, we're always looking for something to go do, right? Uh, but the reason we can go do that, the reason we can go be empowered to do that or do anything is because, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And we might in our flesh want to fight against the authority of Jesus, but whether we humbly bow our knee to him or not, Jesus has authority over our lives. But unlike many of the other authorities in our lives that can't be trusted or who abuse their power, listen, it is good to trust in the authority of Jesus. It is good to trust in the authority of Jesus. He is an authority that can be trusted. That should be just so refreshing to us. Look, now let's look, look back in Mark. Turn your Bibles back to Mark 11. Look at these religious leaders, and I want us to learn why it is so good to trust in the authority of Jesus, okay? Why it is so good to trust in the authority of Jesus. There are probably a million reasons why it is so good to trust in the authority of Jesus, but I'm going to pull three reasons out from the example of these religious leaders. Number one, trusting in the authority of Jesus frees you from having to be your own authority. That's a freeing, a freeing thing. Trying to be the ultimate authority in my life, right, is really exhausting. It produces anxiety. It produces stress because I'm not all-knowing. I, I, I don't know things that have been going on since the beginning. I don't know how my actions and decisions affect everyone else in my life. Like, I'm not all-powerful. I'm not all-wise. I don't always understand all the things that are going on behind the scene. Like, my perspective on life is just one small part of one act of a play, and God's seen the whole story, and I just see this little glimpse of it. And so trying to be the ultimate authority in my life with only being able to see a little part of it, it is stressful and it is anxiety producing when it feels like the weight of the world is on my shoulders that I have to be the ultimate authority in my life. And therefore there is something very restful and peaceful that happens when I can submit to and rest in the authority of Jesus. I mean, talk about an anxiety-squelching experience when you can rest in the fact that you do not have to run this thing called the universe. 
When I, when I worked in the ER, uh, there were many times in my last year there at the ER uh, where I would be working and we'd be in a fairly stressful situation and I would be looking around uh, the shock room and I would see that all the other PAs and the physicians and the nurses, uh, they were all younger than me. And I'm not very old. But everyone was younger than me, and so all of a sudden you look around and you see like the amount of experience in the room, and sometimes when I realized I was the oldest, there was this level of anxiety that just kind of spiked through the roof, like, oh, okay, like this is on me, like I have to take and be in control of this. But then there were other times where there would be a peace and a calm when the 60-year-old ER doc would walk into the room and everyone could just breathe a sigh of relief. You were never designed to be the ultimate authority in your life. And with Jesus in the room, you will never have to be the most experienced person running your life. He was there in the beginning. That's number one, trusting in the authority of Jesus. It frees you from having to be your own authority. Number two, trusting in the authority of Jesus frees you to flourish in the positions of authority he puts you in. I'll read that again. Trusting in the authority of Jesus frees you to flourish in the positions of authority that he puts you in. These religious leaders were unwilling to see the truth of the situation because they cared more about their position than they did about their people. They cared more about their position than they did about their people. You cannot lead well when you are more concerned about your position than you are about the people you are supposed to be leading. And here was Jesus who performed many miracles, backing up his authority. He cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. Uh, uh, the, the deaf, excuse me. He raised Lazarus back to life. I mean, Lazarus is probably like hanging out right now, right? I mean, he's like a walking resume for Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to cease, and they obeyed. The evidence was all there. If these religious people actually cared about the people they were leading, they would have followed the example of John the Baptist and said, he must increase, I must decrease, follow Jesus. But because they cared more about their position of authority, they were willing to mislead the people to keep their position safe. And many of us, we will to some degree have opportunities and be put in positions of authority, even if it's just maybe in our homes or in our churches or in our workplace or in our communities. And in those positions, we will be tempted, just like everyone else is, to domineer and to abuse and mistreat the people and to care more about the position than we do about the people. But listen, trusting in the authority of Jesus, it frees us. It frees us to be able to flourish in those positions of authority because we're not so concerned about keeping that position of authority. We know all authority comes from God and he gives and he takes away. And so if he's given us this position of authority, we don't have to fight to try to keep it. We can lovingly be servant leaders and care more about the people than we do about the position. And leaders and those that are in authority that care more about the people than their position, they flourish, they thrive. 
trusting in the authority of Jesus, it frees us to flourish in the positions that he would put us in. And number three, trusting in the authority of Jesus frees you from the fear of man. These religious leaders, right, when they look to how they're going to respond to Jesus, we see something in their heart that gets revealed. They were afraid of the people. That's what the Bible talks about, this fear of man. And isn't this why so many authorities lead so badly? Is because they don't lead out of their convictions. They don't lead out of truth. But they lead to appease the popular opinion of the day. They lead for the approval of men and women. I mean, we see this, it's easy to see this in politics, right? Politicians who've been in politics for over 10 years are constantly having to change their views on things. Why? Because the popular cultural opinion keeps changing, and so they have to try to keep pace with that. But here's some wisdom for us from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, verse, sorry, Proverbs, yeah, 29, verse 25. It says, The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And Val, you can just leave that up for a little bit. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A snare is a trap that a hunter would lay to kind of catch an animal, okay? If an animal got caught in a trap, it's a very dangerous situation, right? Because they know the hunter is coming to check his traps. And so when you're in a trap, you should really do everything you can to try to fight to get out of that like your life depended on it. And this proverb is saying that the fear of man, it lays a snare. Like the fear of man, it's a trap that many of us get caught in. Many of us are in this trap right now. Many of you know what it feels like to live just like seeking the approval of others and because you're fearful of what people think of you. And it's a trap that you're caught in that you need Jesus to free you from. So that's just one way that the fear of man plays out in many of our lives. It plays out like we are living for the approval of others. We get caught in a trap of trying to live for the approval of others. And church, your desire for approval is not wrong. That might be a little shocking for you to hear me say that. Your desire for approval is not wrong. It was just ultimately meant to lead you to find your approval in Christ. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who came to earth to live the perfect life of obedience that we failed to live, who died on the cross sacrificially in our place, paying the penalty for our sin and releasing us from the power of sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And now he's calling a people to himself. He's calling a people to turn from their sin and to trust and follow after him. And it's all by God's grace, God's undeserved favor. And it is through faith that then this great exchange happens where Jesus takes our sin and all the punishment that it deserved and he gives us his righteousness and all the approval from God that he deserves. And so for those that are in Christ, they have been justified. They have been declared right before God, approved because of the finished work of Christ. And now for those who are in Christ, we can rest 
from having to strive for the approval of others. Because our ultimate authority in our life has approved and accepted us, and we are now called sons and daughters of God. Trusting Christ frees you from working for the approval of man. Trusting in the authority of Jesus frees you from the fear of man. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Well, as we, as we close, I want to leave you here with some questions for you to consider. And, and prayerfully consider these in your heart right now. Is Jesus the ultimate authority in your life right now? Is he the one that is ultimately guiding your decision making and how you live and what you do with your money and where you work and how you treat other people and how you use your time? Is his word the ultimate authority in your life right now? Or are you trying to be your own ultimate authority? Are you looking to popular cultural opinion to be your ultimate authority? Are you maybe in a moment in a season right now where you are pridefully questioning Jesus' right to be the ultimate authority in your life? Like who made him boss? Do you struggle like Job to understand how his authority is really good and how it can be really trusted? Have you experienced freedom from the fear of man and rest from working for the approval of others? Church, seek the Lord and he will be found. Taste and see that he is good. He can be trusted. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Is safe. And my prayer is that we would all be able to come to the conclusion that Job came to in Job 42. Let's look at Job 42. After this line of questioning, this is, this is where Job finally gets. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So church, may we not only hear, but this week also see that Jesus is the authority that we can trust. Let's pray.